This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. But it's New York City, and you, you know, you, you think of the skyscrapers and the and the yeah. and the shopping and the Broadway thing, and and there is um, what I love. One of the many things I love about New York City is that there th- this other side, this industrial, um, you know, gritty maker community is still really active. And if anything, I think craft beer in New York City um, has really helped kind of like um, bring in bring attention and tourism and, and awareness and appreciation for for that. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that aims to take you through the careers and journeys of some of the most creative and interesting minds in the craft beer industry today. This week, we interview Zach Kinney from KCBC, another feature on that beautiful city of New York. And this one, we actually dive into a bit of the brewing history of that great city, which I found super, super fascinating. And we hadn't really previously explored it with any other New York guest. So I think you're going to really enjoy this, uh, as I did. So, word of warning, this one goes all over the shop. (laughs) Zach is a glorious ball of energy and we jump around from all over the place, which was loads of fun. It was my first time meeting Zach uh, and we had an absolute blast. Like I said, hold on to your hats because you're in for a bit of a ride with this one. So let's get into it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents The Thirst Time and this is our interview with Zach Kinney and we start with that all important question. What was that first beer for him? Okay, man. So for me... um uh, the, um, uh, first, you know, uh, craft beer that I can remember having, um, uh, I was at a restaurant, um, uh, that really kind of like popped my, like, you know, palate and really, you know, sort of opened my, opened my eyes to like, wow, this is so interesting and delicious. Um, it's a beer called Hale's Pale Ale. And, um, I grew up in a really tiny town. It's like 250 people. Um, in a remote part of northeastern Washington state. So it's like north of Yakima Valley, almost on the Canada border. And um uh you know it my 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 dad actually um who's a high school chemistry and physics teacher um in our in this tiny town um he grew up there as well um he was an avid home brewer I mean even in the 70s before it was legal he was home brewing in in college making really you know basic probably questionable quality, uh, beer with the available ingredients that he had and, you know, selling it for a nickel, a quart in his dorm room at age 19. Um, and then, you know, kind of kept up the hobby, um, when my brother and I were born and, um, uh, you know, as a kid, I can remember like tasting his homebrews and things wow. and they were, you know, like he entered his pale ale into like the first ever like national professional pro-am beer contest in Colorado and Charlie Papazian and all these people. So he was really in that. And I was always kind of like peripherally, like, that's cool. It's science. I'm tasting this. And this is weird and interesting. And, you know, um, funny little sidebar, my dad, you know, at one point um, I had this little tiny A&W root beer mug that was like my tasting mug that um, was like my, my beer sample mug. And, and I remember for, you know, a year or so when I was four or five years old, where I would always just tell him, you know, he would ask me like, how is the beard? Zachary? And I'd be like, it's pretty good, dad. And I just always said the same response. I think at some point he realized that maybe I wasn't being per- perfectly honest with-, with How old were you? Did, did you say you were five years I old? I was four or five. <laughs> not real. This is my dad's like a practical jokester. And like, you know, yeah. so he decides he's going to put like a bunch of vinegar in the next sample and he gives it to him. I remember this very distinctly. Um, uh, and I remember him giving it to him. I remember drinking it and tasting it and being like, that's kind of weird. It's kind of sour. And like, I don't know. But it's my dad. I'm like, it's pretty good, dad. And he just starts cracking up. And he looks over at my mom. He's like, I'm sorry, Zachary, you're fired. You're no longer my official taste tester. There was vinegar in that. You couldn't even taste. I was like, no, no, I tasted it. I just didn't, didn't want to hurt your feelings. Anyway, I flash forward to like seven or eight or nine years later. And, and, and you know, again, I'm still 12 or 13. I'm not old enough to drink beer. But, you know, my dad's pretty you know, a liberal with, with the, with, you know, maybe more European as far as like, try some beer. It's not a big deal. It's not going to kill you. You're, you're, even if you're a teenager. Um, and this, this small brew pub called, called Hales Ales, um, was, was in, um, Colville, which is a town about 30 miles from, from my hometown. And, um, 
remember going there um, with my dad for lunch or something. That was the town that had like the McDonald's and the Walmart. Our town didn't have a stoplight. So this was like the smaller city where we could go to buy stuff sometimes. And I remember going into this, this, this brew pub and I remember my dad ordered the, the Hales, Hales Pale Ale and it was a really bright, you know, pale colored, you know, crisp, clean, um, looked a little darker than a lager. Um, but you know, not as like sort of, you know, amber as like a, maybe a Sierra Nevada pale ale. Um, and it had this aggressively piney grapefruit character and like must've dry hopped it really heavily. and must've been using really fresh hops. And I just remember being like, wow. And my dad's, my, I remember my dad saying like, this is what I'm trying to make, you know? And I was like, I see dad. And you know, yours is not as good, but it, you know, and we laughed about it. And and I just, I, you know, from that moment, you know, it really kind of stuck with me um, as far as like that, that like, holy crap, this has got flavor and, and these citrus notes and, and this kind of just fresh, snappy, you know, that bitterness yeah. component, which, you know, um, I, I really appreciate it. And I still to this day really appreciate it. That was, that was really like, man, that's, of, you know. that is such a cool story. So yeah. you were trying homebrew at five Five oh, yeah. Old. So oh, you're, yeah, yeah. you're, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> like beers in my blood. Like, you know, you're without doubt. Yeah. The you know, youngest aficionado yeah. of, that we've like that I've interviewed. Oh on yeah. This. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, that, that, that was just the whole, like, yeah, I was lucky that my dad, you know, was, was really into it and, you know, and, and kind of helped. And the know, region that you are yeah, is kind of, of settled. I mean, was it, you know, we're talking some years ago, but I yeah. mean, it's still like Yakima Valley kind of. Oh way, yeah. I mean, so. I would argue that like the beer, you know, the beer scene in, 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 in Washington state and Oregon, you know, that kind of whole area um, is still, you know, in my opinion, some of the best in the world, um, especially when it comes to hop forward beers. Um, it's changed a lot. You know, the hazy IPA thing has kind of come more from the, from the East coast. Um, but, you know, I try to go out to Yakima every year for hop selection for KCBC. And, you know, um, I'm always just like, excited and astounded by by the by the quality of beer and just kind of this sort of like casual attitude that people have and have always had for 20 30 years uh, about like yeah it's craft beer it's like it's like normal and, well, and well, like in so many say, markets in the world it, people are still kind of discovering it yeah well i guess for a lot of those people not too dissimilar stories to your own mm-hmm. where it literally is in your blood like that beard what we call, you know, craft beer is yeah. just, just part of their... Yeah, it's way more normal. Yeah. And, 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 and kind of, you know, uh, not necessarily a distinct, unique product outside of just beer. Whereas, you know... So can we go to the point... So that that's... Yeah. That's young. You yeah, started young. young. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, from... The exciting part of today is that we've... This is the first time we've met. Yeah. So not right now, but we met earlier today. So, so we can build this story yeah. right from, from now... You touched on earlier that you yeah. kind of lived in LA. Yeah. You lived in London. Yeah. So can you take us into the break of, you know, so b- beer's in your blood. Yeah. But you didn't go straight into yeah. the beer scene. Like you didn't just grow and just be like, I'm in Oregon. I'm going to be a brewer in no. Oregon. And that's the rest of my life sorted. No, no, no. You, you I, took, I took some serious breaks. I took a lot of, a lot of different, you know, I've had a few lives thus far before I got to the, the crappier portion of my, of my professional life. Um, you know, I, I studied, um, I went to university in, in the Bay Area in California, and um, I studied um, uh, human biology. I thought for a while I really wanted to get into, into, into psycho- psychology or neuropsychology. Um, and then, you know, realized after a bunch of hard science classes, I was like, this is just like, I don't know, man. I like it, but like, I'm not, I'm not that diehard. And I don't know if I want to be in school for another 10 years. So mm, what are my other options? Um, and I was really all involved in, in, in theater and the performing arts and in, in film and video and um, ended up doing a double major in human biology and, and in theater arts. And then moved down to Los Angeles with a bunch of friends um, after, after college with sort of like, let's make it big. Let's go to Hollywood, man, you know, and let's see what happens. Um, and so I was in LA for about two years doing a lot of odd jobs, honestly, just kind of trying to figure it out. Um, a little bit of, a little bit of theater, doing some, doing some film work, got into video editing um, and kind of felt like that was a really fun um, uh, balance of sort of creative and practical. Um, I love storytelling. I've always loved film um, and got to work on a, um, with a, with a mentor of mine who has a production company and did some documentary work and did some uh, music video and commercial stuff. Um, but at the same time was sort of feeling this sort of, you know, I don't know, pre quarter life crisis. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. 
there's not a lot of structure to my life here. What is my trajectory? Uh, what is wrong with America? Um, this was 2000s. <laughs> yes, so like, I, you know, looking back, so like, much better since oh then. my God, we, we had it so good there. What, did I, what was I complaining about? You know, in hindsight, you know, but this was the Iraq war. There was a lot going yeah. on, you know, um, and um, the, the, the pull towards Europe was, 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 was something I'd always, I'd always wanted to, to, to come over and, and, and spend some more time over here. Um, I'd studied abroad in, in, in Italy for a while through college. And then I'd, gotten pretty fluent in Italian, ended up getting this translation gig for, uh, uh, from an Italian transcript into English for the National Theatre of London. So I ended up moving to London, got a job at the Royal National Theatre of London, which was so prestigious wow. and um, kind of squeaked in on this random visa category and was able to work there for about two and a half years, uh, which was an amazing experience, you know? And at that point, I didn't, I didn't really have this concept of like craft beer as a possible career path. I mean, I loved beer. It was, it was great to be in England kind of even before craft beer was a big thing. Um, at that point, maybe the Colonel was around. I don't really remember craft beer being, being a big part of, of, of London when I was living there. Um, but you know, um, after about two and a half years, the visa situation got really complicated and I ended up having to leave the UK, um, moved to New York city. Um, cause it felt like a similar sister city. Um, and my brother had lived there. Um, so I kind of had a vague sense of it, um, loved it immediately. Can we pause it there? Yeah. So obviously New York is where you guys are set up now. So I just want to kind correct. of yeah. just, you see. Oh yeah. I'm just like, I'm, I'm like, blah, blah, blah. yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Stories, it's amazing. It's I absolutely lot, love it. But that there's a lot of stuff there. Like some people, you know, a lot of people, I mean, I can relate to your story sure. more than, more than other people's. Cause some people just have a direction and they just yeah. follow it and then they deviate into beer. Yeah. But for you, you know, it's scattered all over the shop. Oh, it's you're, all over you're the one place. minute you're doing like human biology, the next yeah. minute you translate an Italian theater. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then I'm doing film and video work. We built this big interactive video wall project for the National Theater that I helped pioneer. I was wow. digital project producer for the for the for the. Um, so these are really really exciting, pretty projects, cool projects. But, yeah. But I just want to get a sense of obviously, you know, beer is the theme of what, yeah. what we're kind of covering. So during this time, you know, you've grown up, yeah. and beer was such a strong part of your childhood like and, and obviously a passion of your dad's as yeah. well where is it sitting in your life at these points yeah. are, are it was still, very much on the back burner no i yeah. mean it's totally to, totally were you enjoying question. even were you even drinking i was i mean yeah. i was not i mean you know I, you know i'm drinking you know guinness like there's no tomorrow because it just tastes better in in europe in general and it's fresher most of the time not always but sometimes you know um new york there's a bunch of places in new york that have a really proper pint and, and pour it really well and fresh but um you know uh was never, was never like beer is beyond me. I, I, I will never touch the stuff again. Uh, that's, that's something from my childhood. <laughs> um, but, um, it was never something during that kind of like decade or so of my, of my life or, or whatever it was five or six years where I seriously had this thought of like, maybe this is a career path. Um, appreciated it. Um, living in Italy, I, I got into cooking and really sort of the sort of food and the food, wine, food, beer pairing thing was something I was, I was, I was really excited about just as a hobby. Um, but I hadn't actually homebrewed beer myself until I moved to New York city, which is kind of ironic because there's a lot of equipment and space that you need to really properly homebrew, especially to do it really cleanly and efficiently, even on a small scale. And in New York city, the one thing that nobody has is space because you're in these tiny apartments got three roommates. Um, and you know, uh, I did it anyway. Um, uh, at that point, um, I, I kind of transitioned from the work I was doing in London to an advertising job, uh, that handled a lot of live entertainment. So I was doing TV commercial directing and things like that for brands like Disney theatrical wow. and, and Lincoln center. Um, so are you yeah, feeling, I, was, <laughs> I know, are you feeling, but I was homebrewing because then at that point it really kind of like, it, it became, it became, especially over the, over the nine years, 10 years that I was in New York pre-opening KCBC, nine years from 2007 to about 2015 um, when KCBC finally, like we signed a lease and started building. But for that whole period of time, um, I became more and more kind of like frustrated and disillusioned with working for a corporate company that honestly, they were great. They were really great people, but um, it just didn't feel as like, um, um, I didn't feel like I had enough autonomy. I didn't feel like I was, I was really loving the kind of creative outlet because I was in more of a 
a, an advertising corporate environment where the client wants it red, you make it red. They want it blue, you make it blue. They want it red and then blue, and then you make it red and then you make it blue. And you, you, you know, you just kind of get, I got burned out, you know, as I think many people could be um, by that, by that kind of uh, structure um, and, and saw an opportunity uh, while I was home brewing and kind of starting to get more actively involved in the, in the craft beer scene in New York city. Um, so many people from those, from those years, you know, people like, like, um, uh, Basil and Kevin Finback, um, uh, Jason Saylor, who opened a brewery called strong rope, um, Chris Kuzme, uh, opened a brewery called fifth hammer all in New York city. Um, I'm sure there's more people that I'm forgetting. Um, and all of these people, Sam from other half, you know, um, who was already working professionally, but, um, it kind of come to New York around that same time, started working in a brewery called, um, called Greenpoint Beer Works. And there was a lot of excitement and a lot of creativity in this, in this very free, you know, kind of just, just really supportive community in New York City. Um, and the New York City Home Brewers Guild was a really big kind of like focal point for a lot of these people um, sharing so information. Were, and, you, you know, were you homebrewing with, with people in the guild and stuff? Uh-huh. So if we, <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Uh, people are going to have to keep up with this one. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, a lot, there's a lot of overlap here. Yeah, and all the nexus so cool. points of like people who are, you know, Brett Taylor, Wild East, you know, all these people were, were, were either, either, you know, had come from, from home brewing and already kind of moved into a professional brewing job. There weren't a lot of brewing jobs in New York City at yeah. that time, but Brooklyn Brewery was around. Yeah. And then Greenpoint Beer Works, which was Kelso and, making all the beer for the, for the, for the craft, for this brew pub chain called Heartland. And, um, they were, uh, like a, an amazing, like, you know, like if you look at the people who worked there and then went on to open their own breweries, a long list of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's crazy to think about that. Yeah. So you're a home brewer. Mm-hmm. You're in this bubble of create. So yesterday I spoke to Basil. Yeah. We had Basil yeah, yeah, yeah. from Finback in and he was yeah. saying about how incredible the community was within New York. And I was just Absolutely. saying, like, as, as such an expansive city that it is, yeah. when I, when we kind of came over and just did a little visit, yeah. it felt like everyone was very connected on yeah. that on that front. So, you know, and that's the beauty, I guess, of the, yeah. the beer bubble, actually, that it becomes smaller and smaller and yeah. smaller, and you, those connections become tighter and tighter and tighter. Yeah. Let's get to the formation of KCBC. Sure. So you've been homebrewing. Yeah. The advertisement thing, you yeah. know, which many would deem you've been successful at. It totally. sounds like you've done yeah. some in, insane projects. Yeah. Really incredible. Um, KCBC, you founded with two other people? That's correct, yeah. Um, so you kind of came together in this home brewing network? Yeah. I mean, I mean we, I'm piecing this together. I don't yeah, know. No, you're, but, you're, 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 you're spot on. Um, yeah. I mean, the the initial kind of pre-origin story was 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 that, you know, um, I I had... I'd gotten sort of um, enough positive response and done some preliminary business plan research and um, felt like, all right, this is a legitimate potential career path that won't, won't, that, that could maybe turn into a, a job that might pay me some money, even if it's not a lot of money. Um, I wasn't naive about that, but um, had, a, had enough kind of confidence that, you know, um, uh, I would find the work creatively fulfilling and that there was a uh, market demand for it. So um, I ended up doing the professional brewing guild program through the American Brewers Guild in Vermont, which is kind of a nice program because um, it's not as in depth as like the Siebel course or as UC Davis, but um, it it's, it's run by a really smart guy named Steve Parks, who's a Brit and um, uh, had, had has, has had like a, a lot of really great kind of uh, program materials that really tailored towards like, you know, getting, getting an understanding of all the diverse areas of not just the technical brewing side, but some of the, some of the startup challenges and how to kind of get your, get, get some things set up regulatory wise and all this stuff. Um, and so I did that program, um, kind of while I was still working part, you know, sort of balancing the two. Can I, and, can I again, yeah. just interrupt just, just cause I want to get a sense of feeling here. So this is full circle. Oh yeah. So you go back to that five-year-old trying beer yeah. with your dad. Yeah. Now you've gone through the, this insane yeah. professional career yeah. and you're back. I'm back As right that there. five-year-old oh, yeah. drinking homebrew. Yep, yep, yep. And I'm like, yes, this is what I want to do. You and know, was let's, your, let's do this. Was your dad pretty buzzing about he it? Was, he was so supportive. They were the, yeah. My mom and dad were like our first investors, you know, and they yeah. were, and even before like KCBC was a thing, I, I, I'd, I'd had been, I'd been scouting this 
this property in, in lower Manhattan um, that was uh, partially owned by a friend of mine whose family had, was in real estate. And he was really kind of excited about the idea. It was in Chinatown and we were talking about doing beer and dumplings and we still might do it someday. But um, uh, uh, the physical building was just like operationally and logistically, it was way too challenging. It was just too small to be able to kind of like turn over enough bodies and beer volume for, for any kind of like financial viability. Um, and at that kind of exact moment that that was maybe turning out to be like not the right magic formula, um, uh, Tony and Pete, who were my fellow KCBC co-founders, had kind of already created this notion of, of, of this collective brewery thing, um, which was Kings County Brewers Collective. And um, they were, at that point, they'd been five people. They kind of cut down to two because different people decided they wanted different things. And they were looking for at least one more person. And it just felt like we all kind of sat down. We knew each other a little bit um, through homebrewing and through just the scene. And, you know, looked at each other and it's like, well, I've got an advertising background. Pete has a really hard science, you know, biochemistry background. Um, Tony had worked in, in retail. He worked in, uh, um, you know, coffee company and it also had an econ background. And we're like, this is and, we, and yet we'd all gone to brewing school and also at home brewed. So it wasn't that any of us was coming in with a sort of truly outsider perspective. We were all a little bit inside, but had had other lives and um kind of looked around and I'm like, this is a, probably a pretty good balanced skill set and a good fit. And the, the collective portion of, of our identity um, uh, was, was all about trying to create variety um, and not just necessarily crush one hazy IPA, you know, category of beer really, really, really well. We wanted to really maintain some of what we all loved as homebrewers, which is being able to create a lot of variety. So the concept, and it's in the name. Yeah. The name is the the abbreviation of Kings County Brewers Collective. Yeah. So yeah. it's a really interesting premise yeah. that the, the start was just a collection of homebrewers yeah. who were coming together. Was the aim then was that name just as homebrewers or was it always to turn it into a commercial? No, it was entity? it was it it was kind of born out of a I think a bunch of beers that 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 Tony and Pete and a couple other guys, Jason being one of them, um, who later spun off and opened his own brewery called Strong Rope. Um, and I th- and again, the, the the first first incarnation was like maybe this could be more of an incubator idea, and maybe we can have multiple brands under this one umbrella. And then we kind of all they kind of crunched the numbers and looked at that, and they're like, wow, what if this guy wants to do you know loggers and this guy wants to do hazy IPAs, and how do we manage some sort of split? singular piece of equipment or facility and, and manage that. And like, that sounds like a headache. So um, instead the kind of idea morphed into something that Tony and Pete and I kind of defined together, which was, which was, you know, I don't know, Voltron, we're talking about Voltron or, you know, different, we have a big comic book kind of like, you know, but the idea that like, you've got individual um, creative forces who might have um, ideas or, or specialty kind of niches where they're really excited about, fruited sours or hazy IPAs or lagers or whatever the, the niche is, or just a specific hop or an ingredient and um, allowing for, for a variety of, of, of creative expression um, instead of a singular brewmaster kind of making all the decisions. Um, so it's like permanent collaborations, correct. just within, it's like each one of you represents yeah, internal a collaboration. Yeah. We're going to, you know, the whole, the whole concept of collaboration with other breweries or brands was still kind of not, not a big thing when we were kind of coming up with this concept. Um, and it felt like it wanted, we, we really wanted that to be a big part of, of our identity. And we, you know, for the first three years, it was a, um, a ton of, 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 you know, good and bad, you know, one-off learning experiences, trial and error, um, wide variety of portfolio. Um, we did launch a, a, a flagship hazy IPA pretty early on. Cause we realized like, that's probably a good idea. Um, there's a demand for that and that's, you know, keeping one thing consistent, um, gives us some stability, you know, people like Vinny at Russian river talks about this, you know, like you have that and you have that, that product that, that people will consistently buy, um, business-wise, it gives you a lot more flexibility to play around with the other stuff and and have, and have, and and be able to take more risks. Well, yeah. I mean, you're drinking a pint of Sonoma as we speak. It's so so good. (laughs) That's, that's the one for us. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time, and this is our interview with Zach Kinney.
So I like to do a little bit of research. Sure. I, I, you know, I like to kind of go in fairly blind, but I like to do... So I was just browsing the website and yeah. stuff, and there's a really, really fascinating part of it in the kind of bio. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I've been speaking to Basil and when yeah. I interviewed Sam as well, you know, they, when they launched, they both talked about New York being quite a barren beer scene, yeah. um, which is kind of crazy for such an incredible, you know, the center of modern food culture and, and food and everything. Art and fashion. Yeah, and, yeah. Everything. But what I didn't know was the history of, yeah. of the place. Yeah. So on your website, it kind of alludes to the fact that you're, the area that you're in, um, Bushwick, is it? Bushwick, correct. Bushwick, yeah. um, produced 10% of all beer drank in America at a yeah. time. It was, it was, it was huge. It was a Mecca. I mean, you know, the German, you know, uh, immigrant population that came to New York in the, in the 1800s. Um, a lot of them ended up in, in Brooklyn. Um, and in particular in, um, uh, sort of North Brooklyn, um, you know, kind of just, just off the East river, um, Williamsburg, what's now Williamsburg, Greenpoint, um, and Bushwick and, um, uh, Bed-Stuyvesant, um, and, and, you know, these people were, were making beer in, in Germany and then they moved to America and they made beer. Um, and I, I think, I can't remember the exact number, but there was north of 40 breweries in Brooklyn, um, in, you know, 1905 or whatever, kind of like that peak period was. And, you know, these were mostly pretty small breweries, um, making, you know, probably a lot of lagers, but, um, obviously some ales and some, 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 I'm sure kind of like unique house kind of culture sort of stuff. Um, the beer garden scene was really big. People were stuck in these really tiny apartments, um, as they still are in New York city. And the concept of being able to go to this third space that's, um, family friendly. And it always was that maybe there's a band and there's some outdoor garden and some shade. And, and that whole culture was, was a huge part of, of Brooklyn, um, around the turn of the century. And, you know, wow. like, yeah, it, 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 I didn't really know about this until I started digging into it. Something that Brooklyn brewery, um, when they kind of were one of the first like modern, you know, brick and mortar breweries, when they kind of opened up their physical property, um, in the late eighties, early nineties, um, they, they kind of alluded to it, but, you know, Bushwick, um, which is the, the, bur- the, the neighborhood, um, New York city is, you know, it's like every other big city. It's got, it's, it's got, bigger regions. And then each region has its own smaller neighborhood. Um, and the, the Bushwick area was the, the, the center of the, the, the center of the center in Brooklyn for, for craft beer and for, for, for these old German, you know, um, other people too making beer. Um, but you know, somewhere around 1970, the last brewery in Brooklyn closed and there were two of them Nin- in so Bushwick, 19- 1978, uh, 1976. Well, it was a combination of things. So prohibition happened in the, in the, um, in the, in the early twenties, 1923, four. Um, uh, but even prior to that, um, there was a, um, huge, um, uh, hop blight mold, you know, a blue mold or a problem, um, that had kind of, um, decimated the hop crop that used to also be centered in New York. Um, New York used to be the biggest hop growing region of, of North America. Um, and so that had a big impact on, on the, on the small, you know, brewing scene in, in the Northeast. And then, you know, five, 10 years later, prohibition comes around and you, you just wipe out a a whole other section of smaller, smaller independent, um, you know, family owned breweries. A few survived, um, Schilling, or sorry, Schaefer and Rheingold were the two kind of big ones in New York City that were still kind of kicking through the 60s and 70s. Um, every now and then you'll talk to some old timers or find old cans of, of some of old posters from these, from these brands. And it's crazy to think about how they promoted their brand. Um, but they were, they, were, they were based in New York, in, in, New York, in, in Manhattan, in Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, mid-70s, just manufacturing anything in New York City just didn't really make economic sense. So they shuttered, they moved out. And, you know, that was, that was the beginning of a, of a real like dark period in, um, of, of unemployment, of high crime in, in, in New York city. And Bushwick was, you know, went from this really bustling, diverse, 
um, blue collar kind of factory community into like a lot of a lot of crime. You know, the, the street that we that we the, the KCBC is on Troutman Street. You know, um, there's like a four block radius there where I've talked to some old old cops, and you know, they tell us that like there was on average a murder a day for like this whole period in the in the late seventies, early eighties, and. Um, so crazy it's, that you know it, obviously there weren't a lot of no, nobody was making crap beer at that time yeah but it's so crazy imagine if that was the foundation of the beer scene in brooklyn and it yeah. just carried on oh god like, yeah. where would it be now like what would it be it would be, i mean we would be we, it would be it would be some you know uber utopian mecca i can just picture in my mind yeah like, lagers oh, everywhere lagers <laughs> everywhere and hazy ipas and you know um, it's just kind of crazy that yeah an area that was bustling with beer and industry. I mean, it's, it's not an uncommon story really. Mm-hmm. If you look at like somewhere like Detroit oh, or something sure, like that, where yeah. just, the, the bottom just gets ripped out and it yep. just changes the whole, but you guys rebuilt the beer culture in New York. We were the first brewery to open um, in, in Bushwick um, in over 40 years. I mean, that was, wow. that was kind of something that we felt really, really kind of like, really proud about, um, really, really kind of, and we said we had such a huge, um, positive response from the community. Um, you know, over, over that kind of seventies, eighties, nineties, early two thousands period, um, the whole Bushwick community diversified a lot. Um, there's a large Latino population there now, um, Puerto Rican, Dominican, and, um, uh, but, but there's, and then, and, and then it's become more of an art scene. There's, there's, there's now like a pretty active, you know, food and kind of even like small tech startup companies that are based in Bushwick. Um, and, and yet it still retains a lot of this kind of older um, flavor and, and character and kind of like uh, diversity of, you know, companies that are still, you know, there's on our block, there's a paper company, there's a steel company. Um, the steel company has been there for 40, 50 years, they're family owned and they're, you know, they're making, you know, big beams for bridges and stuff. And that's still happening while there's a, trendy restaurant and a cool cocktail bar and an awesome pizza place. And then there's this, you know, crap brewery. And that's, there. uh, that's New yeah. York. That's, that's New York. The, <laughs> it's just that's like everywhere. You just, I remember going to other half for the first time and yeah. being like, this is the most industrial place I've ever been yeah. in my life. Yeah. Like, just, but it's then, New York city. And you, you know, you, you think of the skyscrapers and the, and the, yeah. and the shopping and the Broadway thing. And, and there is, um, what I love, one of the many things I love about New York city is that there, th- this other side, this industrial, um, you know, gritty maker community is still really active. And if anything, I think craft beer in New York city, um, has really helped kind of like, um, bring in, bring attention and tourism and, and awareness and appreciation for, for that component. That was awesome. That, that history lesson was so cool. <laughs> Thanks so much. Zach. So, okay, let's zoom right forward. Sure. So we have a new brew scene emerging, mm-hmm. lots of really creative, interesting people yeah. coming together for the love, like craft beer, loads of little projects starting, yeah. like I said, Finback at the half. Mm-hmm. KCBC begins, it's kind of this collective, mm-hmm. collaborative process, but hones in on like the three of you guys. Mm-hmm. So when you did first start and start producing, was it just the three of you basically doing everything? And, yeah. and kind of what kind of facility did you have at that point? Yeah. Was it, just glorified homebrew or were you starting to, you know, get a bit of investment to, to really start pushing this thing forward? So we kind of went, we kind of went, um, we went pretty big from the get go. We kind of, um, um, both of my partners having, having brewed already, um, professionally, um, had enough kind of confidence and understanding of, of the, of the, the scale shift that you have to be very mindful of when you're going from homebrewing to 15, 20 heck, you know, 30, 30 heck batches. Um, and, um, We'd, we'd all run the numbers enough to sort of realize that like, okay, well, you know, if the, the bigger that we can be within reason, um, uh, the more efficiencies we're going to gain with, with batch sizes, with ingredient costs, with um, labor, tank time, things like that. Um, so we kind of settled on a 15 barrel brew house um, and 30 barrel fermenters. Um, and we, we, we were immediately aware that we wanted to do variety. So we, we got, um, we have a two vessel, which we still have, um, our original brew house, um, two vessel system, very simple. Um, it's not automatic. It's very manual. Um, and, um, we started out with six fermenters, um, 
that were all 30 barrels, which gave us a challenge as far as, you know, being able to kind of launch a new brand and, and kind of have a lot of volume to push. Um, but because we'd been in the craft beer scene and the homebrew scene for, for so many years, um, we had, we, we had a lot of contacts and kind of like the timing was, 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 was right for, for, for us to be able to have that, that, that like sales potential already also kind of built in. It was hard. The first year was really rocky as far as like balancing this, like we want to do variety, we want to do creative stuff. We want to do one-offs trying to pilot this singular flagship and we got to sell it all. And it's kind of a lot. And we're not sure how many people know who we are. Well, I, yeah, we're speaking to Basil yesterday. <laughs> speaking to Basil yesterday is just where, yeah, where do you sell it? You know, like, cause like you say, you've, you've, you're you you're trying to recultivate a beer scene that's not necessarily there. So who's picking this stuff up? Like, Who's doing the sales? What are you What are you doing to even think about creating that brand? Was Was a tap room right from the off, or was that something that came a bit later for you guys? As we well? were We were lucky in that, like you know, it, you know, I think other half opened their brewery um, right before uh, this very specific law changed in New York City. Um, prior to that, early two thousands, um, and before that, um, you weren't necessarily legally allowed to pour pints of beer and sell beer over the bar or even have a bar in your brewery. Um, there was some creative workarounds that people like Brooklyn Brewery figured out to do where you could give free tours and give samples and you could sell merch. So they would sell tokens and you could buy a token and you could change the token for a beer. And it was a kind of creative workaround. Um, you know, the, uh, the legislation, you know, and, and the governor um, um, in, the, in the late 2000, like 2009, 2010, um, realized that there was an opportunity here to um, promote more um, uh, of the craft beer industry and and create more jobs and more of a tourism industry. Um, but they had to make this on-premise component uh, more viable and more sort of legally protected. Um, and at the same time, they were looking at New York State agriculture and trying to kind of do something to promote some of these, you know, hop growers and a lot of this, um, even barley um, that had been a big part of New York agriculture again long time ago, um, and and could be a good component of this of this craft beer. It's called the farm small beer craft beer small farm brewery um, bill. And what it allowed to do, long story short, is that it allowed craft breweries to have a physical tasting room and have a tap room and pour pints at a much better margin versus wholesale right over the bar. Um, the beer is fresher, customers love it. It's a total win-win. Um, maybe some distributors didn't like it, but honestly, with these small craft breweries like us, um, we're creating jobs and we're we're delivering a product that ultimately is going to taste better if we do it this way. So um, we built out a five thousand square five thousand square foot warehouse um, in Bushwick. It took us a long time to find the right location, but we were able to finally make a deal. Our landlord's this crazy cool dude. He's named Gary Janiac. We named our pilsner one of our pilsners after him. It's called the Janiac Maniac. Um, he grew up in the neighborhood. He's seen a lot. He's kind of been through the highs and lows. He's in his 80s now. Um, but, you know, has stories of, having, you know, running a, a boiler removal company and then a garbage company and carrying a gun and fighting off mobsters with a baseball bat. And, you know, um, he's, he's colorful, to put it mildly. But He, just, um, he sounds like he deserves to be a name. Yeah. Him. I mean, it's the maniac, Janiac, you know. Um, uh, the, uh, the space is, is a pretty, you know, standard New York City you know, rectangle warehouse, um, about 50 feet wide by hundred feet deep, um, breweries in the back, tap rooms in the front. Um, and we kind of like, you know, pushed, pushed as hard as we could to try to, you know, focus on the tap room, um, and had a really strong response with the neighborhood and with some PR and kind of just a little bit of good timing and good luck with other habits already kind of open and established fin back. It opened, uh, um, around the same time single cut was doing their thing. Um, Rockaway was doing their thing. Um, and, you know, there was at least some people who'd um, broken some ground with a lot of bars and restaurants who now were like, oh, I can buy local local craft beer. And man, there's really great IPAs and these people are doing cool, cool dark beers. And oh, KCBC is also now a new brewery. And so we we were we were able to take advantage of some of that some of those, some of that legwork that, that these, you know, very close predecessors, friends of ours had. 
But it sounds like as well that you had a pretty strong sense of identity and plan from the yeah. off. Like you wanted a flagship beer, you wanted mm-hmm. it to be a hazy IPA. Yep. You said, like briefly mentioned, like the comic book side of things. Yeah. So the artwork, I imagine that you worked more on the creative side with your background yeah. and things. Yeah, I, I tend, I, I managed most of, um, and, and still do most of our, um, you know, uh, creative development, marketing, um, even sales to some degree. Although we have a great sales team now that that does so much. Um, of the legwork for, for, for the team, for us, for the brewery. Um, but, you know, when it comes to new beer names, uh, managing our, our label artist, whose name is Earl Holloway. He's awesome. Super comic book nerd. Um, we hired him um, uh, almost immediately. You know, we brewed, we brewed, you know, 10 or 12 batches and quickly realized um, by, you know, month two or three that, boy, we needed some 16 ounce cans and the canning line had not been in our business plan. So, um, so you we were, were pure draft at that time. We were draft only for, for the first three or four months. And then, you know, um, uh, fortunately, um, uh, there's a couple of mobile canning companies in New York City, Ironheart being the main one um, that was offering this service of, of bringing their canning line in and, and kind of cranking out, you know, a couple hundred cases of whatever beer we wanted them to package. Um, so our very first 16-ounce um, uh, can um, came out sometime in December of 2016. Um, which is again like three months after our tap room opened, and um, we we we'd looked at Earl's artwork, and he had a couple of independent comic books that he'd published, and he'd done a lot of like freelance artistry work, but still had a day job doing AV technician stuff, and and was really dying to do more art, and it was a great mix of, you know, I'd, I'd worked with develop, you know, in the creative field, working with a lot of you know freelancers or artists in my, my advertising job, so I think that 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 gave me some some kind of understanding of how the process was going was going to work but we really lucked out in 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 that like Earl and Earl and I and, and our whole team really clicked and the kind of sensibility um which is you know it's a little bit whimsical it's a little bit nostalgic it's a little bit edgy it's it can be wacky at times it can be really dark at times um but there's there's always a sort of story or a character or suggestion of story which again for me is one of the most like awesome things about this industry is that, you know, wherever you go, people, you know, we're humans. We love stories. We love, we love to, to find something we can relate to. Um, and, and with, with our craft beer, you know, there's a lot of, 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 of history that I think is really fascinating and, and really fun to talk about. But when you have um, this, this 16 ounce can with this like surface area that you can plaster with whatever you want, um, we just kind of took that and like ran with it, you know? Um, so we have this octopus. It's kind of like our spirit animal, Sally, the octopus. She's made a bunch of appearances on different cans. She was on her first can. It's on your t-shirt right now. It's on my t-shirt right now. <laughs> yep. She is. She's up. This is our lager month. She's got a bunch of cans of lager and she's shotgunning lager cans. She's got an anchor here. It's cool. Um, and, um, but you know, we, you know, we do, we do, we have so much fun. Honestly, it's one of my, one of my favorite parts of, of KCBC is, um, developing new art, new name ideas, new concepts uh, with Earl. And, and honestly, in this market with um, so many breweries and so much competition from other beverages as well, seltzer and everything, um, you better have a really sick packaging game. Um, it's pretty important. I love that side of things and the way that people really find identity and you guys have got such strong identity and obviously yeah. it came from your love of comic books and that yeah. kind of sensibilities and that you all resonate with that, that side of things. Yeah. Um, so we're a little strapped for time today, oh, but no. it feels like, it feels like I could just, we could just do this for like at least another three <laughs> I talk hours. Forever, no, forever. it's I'll great. come back. We'll do it again. Yeah. hundred so percent. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah, absolutely love that. Um, it's a question I've never really asked anyone from the New York beer scene. Um, why, it's coming to the UK and Europe important because New York is so big. Yeah. It can eat all of the beer that you need it to. You, you know, tap rooms are such a huge part. Mm-hmm. There's no need to mm-hmm. reach out, but I mean, I absolutely love it. And yeah. the, the, the fact that we can just sit here and have sure. a conversation right now is awesome connected yeah. by beer, but there's so much more we, we can yeah. talk about and connect with. Um, why do you think that is? What, what is it that, drives you to because it's it's a long way to travel you've you're fresh mm-hmm. off the plane today yeah um what does it what does it bring you hmm it's a good question um 
you know, I, I, I can, I don't think I can necessarily speak for, for all breweries, all, all everyone in, in, in New York craft beer. Um, but there's, um, I do think that New York city, um, is, you know, it, it's, it's a melting pot. It's a stereotype, but it's also true. People who are, um, who live in New York are from all over the world. And, um, I think that kind of predisposes people, um, of all industries, um, to be more aware of, of the larger global community that we all, you know, share, um, and the, the value in, in learning from other cultures and other, other, um, other industry professionals in totally different environments. Um, and, you know, craft beer is such a creative, you know, innovative industry, you know, it's kind of defined by innovation. If you're not innovating in craft beer, um, boy, good, good luck staying relevant and, and being able to maintain your market share. So I think you've already got a personality type that is, is going to be interested in innovation and learning and, and exploration and, and pushing boundaries. And you combine that with the sort of personality type that wants to be in New York city. And I don't know, I'm trying to think, I don't know if any of the New York city brewers, brewery owners that I, that I'm aware of are from New York, all from other places. A lot of us are. And I think that that, um, that already kind of opens us up to this possibility of, of exploration of, 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 of going abroad, um, of learning from, from another, another community, um, and, 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 and sharing that knowledge and, and being an ambassador and a, and a student and a, and a and fan, you know, um, I love, I love how creative and exciting and dynamic the beer scene is in, in Europe and in the UK. Um, sure. You know, I think people look at America and they're like, wow, it's the best. And I, you know, sure. sure. I look, I, I believe that the beer scene in New York city is, is the best, if not one of the best in, in the world right now, as far as the quality and the variety. But, you know, again, you know, I think, I think you have to be, you have to be open to, to new ideas and you're never going to, going to find those new ideas if you don't step outside of your comfort zone and get outside of your bubble. Um, and you know, Europe's only, you know, five hours away, yeah, six hours away. It's on not flight, too bad. So it's not too bad. You know, it's the same distance as California. Obviously. Exactly. Yeah. I forget so, that America's a big, it's old a big place. old country. So when you think about it, you're like, well, I could go to, I could go to California or I could go to, go to Europe. I don't know. You know, I, obviously I lived in Europe. I'm, I'm, I'm predisposed to like wanting to come over here and see friends and, and, and kind of like show them what I'm doing and, and, and share my, my beer and, and my story and everything we're doing. But, um, I think that's not just me. I think that is really a, a common thread that 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 comes down to like wanting to share and, and be part of a larger community. So a couple of last questions. For yeah. you, Jack, and I, I'm sorry to condense this. Uh, all good. I've got to go do fatherly duties. I, which I, is, I know the deal. Uh, it's a great commitment. Yeah. Um, so I'll have to kind of, we'll have to compress it. Sure. But if you, you know, you look at the beer scene and how it's innovated in the last I guess you guys have been around about nine six years, years, six, six, years. Year, six yeah. years. Okay. Um, how do you see the next five years mm-hmm. for, for KCBC and just the beer industry as a whole mm-hmm. in a, in a short paragraph? Sure. Uh, and then we'll move on to your pre-apocalypse uh, beer, which <laughs> whatever that would be. Good idea. Good um, so yeah, first one, how do you see the next five years in a, in a compressed format? I think um, in a really good way, we're going to see, um, uh, improvements in, in quality, improve, in, in continued improvements in, in consistent quality. Um, there's been so much, um, that I've seen, um, over the last, you know, six plus seven, eight, nine years, home brewing included in terms of, uh, the consistent quality of, of craft beer across the board in, 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 in America and across the globe. Um, but even more exciting to me is this is the diversity factor. Um, you know, America loves fads. Uh, we love to jump on a specific train and then milk that thing to death. Um, and the hazy IPA thing, which honestly, I love hazy IPAs. Don't get me wrong. But um, it's really exciting to me right now that um, KCBC and we've always tried to push variety, but now we're seeing even more success and, and kind of demand and appetite 
for other beer styles, um, English, traditional English styles, Belgian stuff, wild stuff, lagers. Oh my gosh. You know, I love lagers. We have a whole lager appreciation month that we devote to it, you know? Um, and, and I think that that, um, that shift in, in terms of, um, craft beer drinkers who may have gotten into craft beer and kind of fallen in love with one specific style, like an IPA or hazy IPA, these people are all realizing that there's so much more potential and much more to offer from, from craft beer. And they're happy to, to drink it. And I'm more than happy to brew it. That's super exciting. Yeah. Okay. So last question. Sure. You're in a bar. They serve every beer that's ever been made and they could create any beer that you want in an instant. There's a little flicker in TV in the corner and suddenly it bangs on. Newsflash, a comet's going to hit Earth in an hour. The barman steps up, slaps the bar and says, what are you drinking? God, well... What's that beer going to be for you, Zach? God, it's, you know, this is, this is an impossible question. So I'm trying to picture the apocalyptic version <laughs> of this and it's like, all right, so... You know, um, what's that, what's that, what's that lager or, you know, really delicious, flavorful beer for me? Um, you know, my, 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 my normal response or my, my immediate response, um, to this, to this question or similar question is usually pretty consistent. And it's honestly Cezanne DuPont. Um, it's not a unique beer per se in terms of its appreciation i'm not the first person who loves that beer man i love that beer and i don't get to drink it often enough um because that style the saisons have not haven't really necessarily kind of kicked back into popularity like they once were um and i i really i really love that beer um uh especially when it's when it's fresh not too fresh but just a little fresh um but you know um you know, again, like for me, it's these classic beers. It's, it's kind of going back to, you know, like the early craft beer days when, you know, beers like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and Cezanne DuPont and even like Pilsner Raquel and like, you know, these European classics were, I, I, I was tasting them for the first time. Um, I, I, I'd go with, I'd go with one or all of those. I'd probably just get one of each. I, I like, Come on, let's I, drink them all. I, I you know, think, yeah, there it is. Pilsner, Raquel, Cezanne DuPont, Sierra Nevada. I'm done. I'm drinking them all. Boom. Sorry. Uh, Not sorry. Basil said Cezanne DuPont. Yeah, there we go. Really interesting. Yeah, man. Um, Zach, thank you so much for your hey, time. Thank doing you, this. Stefan. I would happily have done this for like three or four hours. Me too, man. Uh, if we weren't against the clock, we'll have to do this again. Run this For back. sure. Um, yeah, let's go. Cheers, man. See if we can squeeze a beer in before, we, before we go. Right on. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. And there it is. I hope you're all okay after that one. That was funny. Zach is amazing. What a guy. <laughs> so much energy, so much to share, and a deep love and understanding of the city of New York. Uh, yeah, I took loads away from that one. What a pleasure it was to sit down with Zach. I hope you enjoyed it too. Uh, just say a massive thanks to Zach for doing that with us. I kind of sprung it on him at short notice. Uh, he was collaborating with us, and I just thought, how about we just go and do an interview? And he was very, 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 very polite and accepted. So thank you, Zach. Thanks for listening. This show is produced by Tom Coucher. If you want to share it, like it, review it, that's much appreciated. We'll be back next week with another episode. And as ever, stay thirsty.